All right, if you have your Bible, we are going to be in the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 6 is where we are going. Give you a moment to get there. All right, now, um, in, the, in the Jewish writings, uh, there is a, there's a book called the Talmud. Uh, and the Talmud is a collection of writings and stories um, from different Jewish writers from um, many, many centuries ago. But in the, in the Talmud, there's a story about a man named Honi. Um, and Honi, he had a reputation as being a rainmaker. Now, not a rainmaker like he makes lots of money for his business, but a rainmaker as in when there wasn't any rain, people would go to, to Honi and he would somehow cause it to rain. Uh, like I said, this is kind of a legend. Um, in this particular story, Israel had been ex experiencing an epic drought. One that if they didn't get rain really soon, people were going to start dying. All right, It, it, it hadn't rained. I, I mean, this was like Elijah type drought where it hadn't rained in many, many years. Um, and so the leaders, they said, well, we're out of options. You know, let, let's go see Honey. So they went, out to, they went out to Honey and they explained the situation to him. I don't think he really needed them to tell him too much of what was going on. He's like, oh, it hasn't rained in a while. Yeah. So Honey got his stick and he went out. He went up on the mountainside. All of the people were gathered around him. And there in the dirt, he began to draw a circle with his staff. And he drew a circle and then he went and he got inside of the circle and he began to pray. And this is what he prayed. He said, Lord of the universe, I swear before your great name that I will not move from this circle until you have shown mercy upon your children. And this was a very big, a very bold, and a very public prayer that Honey was praying. He was essentially putting his reputation and, and, and his way of life on the line here. Um, but sometimes def desperate times call for desperate prayers. As Honey finished this prayer, as he finished praying this, the skies opened up and it started to rain. But Honey wasn't done praying. He wasn't done. He, he continued to pray. He said, not for such rain have I prayed, but for rain that will fill cisterns, pits, and caverns. And as soon as the last word had come out of his mouth, the rain, the light rain that they were experiencing changed and it became a torrential downpour. In fact, eyewitnesses to this event say that there was not a single drop of rain that was smaller than the size of an egg. Those are big raindrops. That sounds like it would hurt. In fact, the people that were gathered watching Honey pray scattered. They went and they were like, we got to get some shelter, man. This is, this is some uh, Walt Disney type stuff. But Honey didn't leave the circle. He prayed a third time and he said, not for such rain have I prayed, but for rain of your favor, blessing and graciousness. And at this time, the rain changed a third time. And instead of being a torrential downpour, it turned into a steady rain that watered the grass and nurtured the plants. Now, Honey's desperate prayer, bold, desperately bold prayer had been answered and the people were saved. Now, I don't know how much of this story is true, okay? I don't, I don't want, and, and it, it's dangerous for us to build our spiritual lives on extra biblical sources like this. 
But this is a principle that, that we can hold on to. There are some important principles that we can learn from Honey and the practice of circling God's promises in prayer. And so that's what we're going to start now over the next uh, four weeks. We're, today, we're gonna, our, our message is called Becoming a Circle Maker. And then next week, we, uh, we'll, we'll go on. Next week, we're going to talk about dreaming big and, and so on from there. Now, the idea of circling the promises of Scripture was not something new to Honey. In fact, when the people of Israel were beginning their conquest of the promised land, after they had wandered the desert for 40 years, God said, okay, it's time. We're going to cross the Jordan, that land that I promised you. It's time for you to take it. The very first thing that they did after they crossed the Jordan was they drew a circle. And that's what we're going to look at today. So if you have your Bible, uh, let's go to Joshua chapter 6. I'm going to read. We're going to pray. Uh, and then uh, we're going to jump into it. Joshua 1, 6, I'm going to read down through uh, verse 5. It says, Now Jericho was strongly fortified because of the Israelites, no one leaving or entering. The Lord said to Joshua, Look, I have handed Jericho, its king, and its best soldiers over to you. March around the city with all the men of war, circling the city one time. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry seven ram's horns trumpets in front of the ark. But on the seventh day, march around the city seven times while the priests blow the trumpets. When there is a prolonged blast of the horn and you hear its sound, have all the troops give a mighty shout. Then the city wall will collapse and the troops will advance, each man straight ahead. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you be with our time now as we take a look at this passage of scripture here in Joshua, uh, this story of Joshua and the soldiers uh, circling Jericho. And Father, I pray that you would help us to see the principles here, uh, not so much uh, of circling a city in hopes that the walls will fall down, but in, in circling uh, the promises that you have given to us, Lord, circling them in prayer so that we can see you answer our prayers in mighty and big ways. Lord, I pray that today we will be more like your son as a result of being here. We ask this in your name. Amen. All right. Now, in this passage, we see that the Israelites are getting ready to do battle against the city of Jericho. This is the same city that had so intimidated the Israelites 40 years earlier that God ended up killing all of the older people and saying, all right, you, you don't have faith in me. You don't think I can do this. You're going to wander around in this desert for 40 years until all of you a certain age or older are buried somewhere in that sand, and then we'll try again. That, that, that's the, the, the city that they were intimidated by. Under Joshua, the new leader, they were given a second chance to take the city and to begin their conquest of the promised land. Now, the Israelites were up against the biggest challenge they had ever faced. Remember, they, had just come, they were just coming in from wandering in the desert for 40 years. They were not trained soldiers. They, they didn't have like, like basic training camp that they could go to or uh, special forces places that they could, they could attend or, or any of those things. They had been wandering around in the desert. They were a group of people, like I said, who had just finished wandering the desert how were they expected to take a city like this? I mean, um, these walls, and I'll describe them again here in a second. These walls were about 50 feet high and between 20 and 25 feet wide. So you have to imagine going in and looking at this, you're probably going, uh-uh, uh-uh, right? It's like me when I go to a, an amusement park and, and I see a roller coaster and, and one of the boys is like, let's go on the roller coaster. 
Yeah. I see rocket ships fly over top of the thing and the car is still going up. We, we ain't doing that. Look, let's go on something that stays on the ground and spins in circles. Um, how were they expected to take a city like this? Now, in your life, there are going to be impossible challenges and obstacles. I think we would all agree with that. In our lives, there are things that we come in contact with that we look at them and we go, I can't do that. That's impossible, right? For the Israelites, that impossible challenge was spelled Jericho, J-E-R-I-C-H-O. But for each one of us, our Jericho can be spelled something different. For some of you, that Jericho might be spelled C-A-N-C-E-R. It might be spelled D-E-B-T. I, I hope I'm spelling these things right. <laughs> I wrote them down. All right. It might be spelled J-O-B. All of us are facing circumstances that when we look at them from our own human perspective, we look at them and we go, I can't do that. I can't overcome that. There's no way that I physically, in my own human ability, am able to do that. That's exactly what the, the Israelites, they looked at Jericho and they went, we can't do this. It's too much for us. It may be difficulties with your place of employment or your lack of employment. It may be a wayward child or a child that you desperately want to have. Whatever it is, I need you to know this. God knows what your Jericho is. God knows what that miracle that you're praying for is. And he has a plan to help you overcome it or to achieve it. Whatever that impossible thing in your life is that you're facing, God has a plan to help you overcome it or help you to achieve it. Your part is to circle it in prayer. And that's what we're going to see here. The first thing I want you to see is, uh, Joey, if you'll put the slide up, is we circle from victory, not for victory. Okay, let me say that again. We circle things from victory, not for victory. The Israelites were preparing for battle against the city of Jericho. And like I said, the walls of Jericho were about 50 feet high and between 20 and 25 feet thick. Now, during, the, during a, a battle plan like this, during this time, the battle plan in a situation like this was to do one of a couple things. They would either charge at it and try to smash a hole in the wall. They would build ladders and get ropes in, and they would try to scale the wall and take the city by going over the wall. They might try to dig underneath the wall and, and go in like that. Or they might, um, they, they, they would surround the city and just camp. And they'd wait for the people inside to starve to death or give up. Or, like we, we know the story of the Trojan horse, they might go, eh, let, let's, let's get a truce. Here, we have a gift for you of a, a large wooden horse. And then all the people are packed inside and at night while they're sleeping, everybody comes out of the horse. Those were the plans. That wasn't what God had in mind. God had in mind this. He said, he said none of these strategies, however, were what God had planned. God's plan was for the Israelites to march around the city. That's the most ludicrous battle plan. I have. I'm not a soldier. I, don't, I, I, mean, I, watch, I watch war movies. I've never seen a, a, a war movie where the soldiers go, hey, here's what we're going to do. We're going to march around the city, right? I've never seen that happen, but God went to Joshua and he said, Joshua, here's what you're going to do. You're going to get your men. You're going to get your priests. You're going to go out and you're going to walk around the city and then you're going home. And Joshua's probably scratching his head a little bit. What? I, hold on. Let me, I don't think I heard you right. 
You're gonna march around the city, you're gonna get your man, you're gonna march around the city, you're gonna do that one time a day for six days, and each day you're going home. And then on the seventh day, and Joshua's like, let me guess, we're gonna walk around the city one time and then we're going home. God said, no, on the seventh, on the seventh day, you're gonna march around the city seven times. You're not gonna make a sound, you're not gonna talk, you're not gonna do anything. And at the end of the seventh day time, you're going to blow the trumpets. Everyone's going to shout. The walls are going to fall down. Joshua, all right, well, let's do it. All right. None of these, that's what they were supposed to do. It didn't make sense to them, but that's often how God works. Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, verse 26 through 29. He said, brothers and sisters, consider your calling. Not many were wise from a human perspective. Not many powerful, not many of noble birth. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world, what is viewed as nothing, to bring to nothing what is viewed as something, so that no one may boast in his presence. Now, there's a key element that we got to focus on here in this particular passage. Normally when we hear this story, and I've been hearing this story since I was uh, a, a wee one in junior church, about how the reason that, they, that the, the children of Israel, the Israelites were successful, was because they were obedient. And that the reason that the walls fell down, the reason God knocked the walls down and gave them the city is because they were obedient and they were quiet. I actually had a Sunday school teacher who did that, like, you want the walls to fall down, you've got to be quiet. Like, what? All right. But there is a, a key thing. In fact, I highlighted and underlined this in my Bible. Look at Joshua chapter 6, verse 2. It says this. The Lord said to Joshua, look, I have handed Jericho, its kings and its best soldiers, over to you. The battle hasn't even happened yet. And God said, you've already won. I wrote that in my Bible right here. There's a note that says, the battle hadn't even happened yet. God was telling Joshua, you, I have already won the victory for you. So when we, are, when we pray, we are praying from victory, not for victory. Here's what we need to remember. Whatever your Jericho is, no matter how big and how overwhelming it might be, God has already won the victory. Let me say that again so it sinks in. No matter how big your Jericho is, God has already won the victory. The victory may not be exactly what you had in mind, but God is perfect and knows exactly what you need when you need it. God will answer our prayers, but he's not a genie. Okay? John chapter 16, verse 33 says this, I have told you these things so that you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world, but be courageous. I have conquered the world. We already have the victory through Jesus Christ and God. The second thing that I want us to see here in this passage is the, your miracle, your circle was performed by faith. We're going to read uh, just a little bit of Joshua 6 down through 16. It's a lot. So Joshua, son of Nun, summoned the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and have seven priests carry seven trumpets in front of the Ark of the Lord. He said to the troops, Move forward, march around the city, and have the armed men go ahead of the Ark. 
After Joshua had spoken to the troops, seven priests carrying seven trumpets before the Lord moved forward and blew the trumpets. The Ark of the Lord's Covenant followed them. While the trumpets were blowing, the armed men went in from the priest who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard went behind the Ark. But Joshua had commanded the troops, Do not shout or let your voice be heard. Don't let one word come out of your mouth until the time I say shout. Then you are to shout. So the Ark of the Lord was circling around the city, circling at once. They returned to the camp and spent the night there. And it, it, the, the passage from there goes on and on. All right. Now, after Joshua had received the instructions for the conquest, he gave it first to the priest, and then he gave it to the soldiers. You have to imagine, as Joshua's relaying this, that they're going, seriously, this is what we're going to do? This is what we're going to do? I, I, I'm sure we've all been sitting in meetings, and we've had our boss come down and tell us something like, here's what you're going to do, and you're going... That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Like, and you're my boss, right? You have to imagine that that's what's happening. They, they, were, they were not going to attack or shoot arrows or anything. And what was supposed to happen? Like, what? You, you want us to do this? And you think something's going to happen. But the soldiers and the priests, they listened. Each day, they circled the city one time and went home. Now, it's easy to think that they felt pretty foolish doing this. Right? If, if, you were, if you were the ones marching around the city, you'd feel pretty foolish, right? On the first day, walk around like, I'm not sure what's going to happen. But, but, you know, he said something's going to happen. But by day three, I think they had some swagger to them. I think they're out there like, yeah, God's going to do something. And on day four, it got more. And on day six, they're like, yeah, this is going to happen. And on day seven, when they woke up, Excuse me, on day seven, when they woke up, you know what they did? They went out and they circled the city. And then they circled the city. And they kept circling the city. And finally, after circling it seven times as they were commanded, the people gave a shout. And do you know what happened? The walls came down. God came through with the miracle. These massive walls that were impregnable were completely destroyed. God had won the victory. When God answers our prayer, he does it through our faith. And God delights in answering those prayers that are beyond our ability. Let me give you an example. All right, and I've talked a lot about this over the past couple weeks, and you better believe I'm going to talk about it a whole lot more. Yesterday we had our block party. Right? If, you, if you weren't here, if you, if, if you for some reason missed it, you missed an absolute blessing. I mean, it was, it was an awesome thing. I was praying that God would give us 150 kids to give backpacks to. For me, and for many of you, that seemed impossible. You know who I'm looking at, right? And we joke about it. We joke about it. When we were sitting back there at that table back in April or whenever it was, and somebody goes, how many backpacks do you want to get? I said, 150. Everybody went. Because in our minds, we're going, that's impossible. That's, that's, that's impossible. There's no way we're going to be able to do 150 backpacks. And then I got the, I got the number from, from Diana on how much it was going to cost to do 150 backpacks. And, and the rational side of me went, that's impossible. But you know what I started doing? I got on my phone and I started texting people. And I said, look, this is how much we need. We need to start praying about it. And I put it on, in, in groups on Facebook, and I said, we need to start praying about this. We need to have faith that God is going to provide. And you know what God did? God provided every single penny that we needed. 
Not just for the backpacks, not just for the school supplies. He provided the money for the trailer. He provided the money for the food. He provided every single penny that we needed. Every single thing that we prayed for, God blew our minds. Thursday morning, I woke up and I checked the weather. And the weather said, excuse me, the weather said 60% chance of rain. I said, well, that's not good. And I started praying. And I said, God, here's what I need from you. I need you to hold the rain off. You can make it rain, Lord. It's been raining all week long. We know you're good at making rain. I need you to hold the rain off until we get everything set up. We have the party. We pack it up. You can let it rain the moment we close that trailer. I just need that block of time. And you know what God did? I woke up, I mean, Friday night, I'm laying in bed, I'm listening to the rain pour down, and I'm going, oh, this is not good. This is not good. Lord, I need you to do something. I'm laying in bed, and it's raining all night long. Saturday morning, I got up, I put the leash on the dog. I walked outside expecting it to be cloudy, expecting it to be foggy. I have never seen a sight more beautiful. Excuse me. All right, I've never seen a sight more beautiful than to see that sunshine, not a cloud in the sky. I kind of wish there was a few clouds, right? Some of us are wishing that, right? But every single thing that we prayed for, God blew our minds on how he did it, right? He, he brought us in contact with a huge number of people that we wouldn't normally have contact with. I mean, we had people coming from Maryland. We had people coming from the other side of town, people in Martinsburg. We had contact and we had conversations and we were able to invite and give Bibles to people that we probably never would have seen otherwise. God scored the miracle. And the reason that he did that was because we had faith to believe that he would. Right? When you are faced with something difficult... Whatever it might be, whether it's, it's a diagnosis, whether it's a debt, whatever it might be, if you begin praying for it and you have the faith that God will answer your prayer, guess what God's going to do? God is going to answer your prayer in a way that will blow. Excuse me. You can tell I'm kind of uh, emotional about this. He will answer your, way, your prayer in a way that will blow your mind. Right? I, I, I've often talked about these, these television sets. Right? Some of y'all don't know the story about the television set. We used to have a, this nasty old screen over here in the corner, and, and the light on the projector was going out, and so you had to like, get up real close to be able to see. It was, it was awful. Right? And, and so we, we, got, we, we got the church to approve some money to, to buy us a television. We were going to buy one television. And I happened to be walking through Walmart one day. I was, uh, back to, I was, I was ordering something from the... the, the uh, the counter in the back, the meat counter, I guess that's what we call it. The deli, I don't know, whatever you call it. And of course, being at Walmart, it wasn't ready. I'm like, all I do want to do is go in and pick it up. And then I happen to be walking through, waiting for them to have the food ready. And I look, and the TVs that are normally about $800, and my numbers may be off, it's been a little while since we got it. The TVs that were normally about $800 were half price. And they're like, yeah, we don't, we don't normally do this. We're just trying to, to, to move them out. And I just happened to be walking through and praying like, Lord, we need, I need you to provide a TV for me. We have two beautiful televisions. And then, as I'm standing at the back door, like how in the world am I going to get these things hung up? This guy who's been coming to our church for a little bit, he just happens to walk up and goes, hey, you need help with the TV? 
And I said, uh, sure. He's like, yeah, I'm an electrician. All right? And, and he, 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 Dan Boyd came and, and put our televisions on the wall for us. Right? God was blowing our minds. All right? Now, we didn't give away 150 bags yesterday, but God still answered the prayer. All right? It was a miracle, one that required us to have faith that it was going to happen. Hebrews 11 verse 1 says this, Now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think. God is able to do, all, able to do above all that we can ask him for and all that we can think. I can think some pretty big things. Right? And, and Eric's back there going, Yeah, he can. Right? Because... <laughs> Right? Diana's like, oh, yeah, he's, his brain's too big. I can think some pretty big things. We serve a God who, when we ask him to, he's kind of like, yeah, I'll do you one better. I'll do you one better. You're going to read in the book, The, the Circle Maker. Uh, Mark Batterson, he's a pastor down in, uh, in Washington, D.C., and uh, they needed some money to buy a piece of property. I don't know if you've ever tried to buy money or buy, buy money. I don't know. <laughs> Meet the guy behind the, uh, in the back alley. He'll sell you some money. Um, he, they were trying to buy property in Washington, D.C. I don't know if you've ever tried to buy property in Washington, D.C. I haven't, but it's, it's expensive, right? It's expensive. And they needed $2 million to buy a piece of property. And so Mark started to pray for it. He started praying. He was asking God to give them a $2 million gift. I don't know if I have enough faith to ask God for $2 million. Right? I hope one day I do. But Mark was praying for $2 million. He got, he got done praying. He got a phone call. There was a, a family on the other end of the line that said, uh, Pastor, Pastor Batterson, Pastor Mark, we need to meet with you. Normally when a pastor hears those words, they go, uh-oh, something's not right. They met with this family, and this family said, hey, we want to give you a gift. We have a $3 million check for you. It was exact. He goes, uh, I'm sorry, what? what? I didn't quite hear you. We have a $3 million check for you. He had been praying for $2 million to buy this property. God provided $3 million for him. He has more. He's able to do above what we can ask and think. When you are circling your Jericho, when you're praying for your miracle, consistently bringing your request to God, you can expect that God will answer your prayer. We can have hope that God hears our prayer and will answer them. Those answers come through our faith. They may not always look the way we want them to. And I think we've, we've all had experiences where we're praying for something and God answers our prayer. And it doesn't look the way we want it to, but God still answers our prayer. But we have faith that God hears and is working for our good. Romans 8.28 says this, We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. It doesn't say all things are going to be good, but it says it's working for our good. God hears our prayers. He performs them by our faith. The third thing that I want us to see here is that the answer to your circle requires obedience and praise. Uh, let me read down. Uh, we're going to skip down through some of this to verse uh, uh, 15. It says, Early on the seventh day, they started, they started at dawn and marched around the city seven times in the same way. That was, that was the only day they marched around the city seven times. After the seventh time, the priest blew the trumpets, and Joshua said to the troops, Shout, 
For the Lord has given you the city, but the city and everything in it are set apart to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and everyone in her house will live because she hid the messengers we sent. But keep yourselves from the things set apart or you will be set apart for destruction. If you take any of those things, you will set apart the camp of Israel for destruction. For all the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are dedicated to the Lord and must go into the Lord's treasury. So the troops shouted and the trumpet sounded. When they heard the blast of the trumpet, the troops gave a great shout and the wall collapsed. The troops advanced into the city, each man straight ahead, and they captured the city. They completely destroyed everything in the city with the sword. Every man, woman, both young and old, and every ox, sheep, and donkey. There's a field of history known as counterfactual theory. And counterfactual theory is, is the study where you take an event and you, you question and you ask, what would happen if this particular event went this way? All right? there, there's often TV shows and movies. I think there's, there's one that, that was on recently of what would have happened if the Axis had won World War II instead of the, the Allies and, and what the world would look like and all of those things. Um, and so we're going to play counterfactual theory here for just a second. What do you think would have happened if the Israelites had quit circling the city on day one? If there had been a coup and they said, Joshua, this is the stupidest thing we've ever done. We ain't doing it anymore. All right? Or what if they had gotten to day six and their faith started to falter and they said, we've done this for six days, man. Nothing is happening. The guys are standing up on the roof and they're making faces at us like in Monty Python. They're calling us names and insulting our mother. We're not doing this anymore. Some of you are laughing at that. Thank you. All right. What would happen is they would have been disobedient to God and they would have forfeited the promise that God had given them. God told them, you need to walk around the city. You need to do this. If they had stopped doing it, they would have forfeited the promise. They would have not have taken the promised land, the country that God had promised Abraham 400 years earlier. If they hadn't followed Joshua's instructions, they would not have been successful in taking the city. That's what would have happened if they had given up. Do you ever wonder if the same could be said of the prayers in your life? All right. What if God was ready to answer your prayer, but you didn't pray consistently for it? All right. How many of us, we, 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 we want something. We want God to do something in our lives, and we ask for it. And since it doesn't happen the next day, we give up praying for it. All right, it's kind of like me. I, I, I'm a little doughy. I will admit it. I, I, I will admit that I, I love junk food. I love fast food. Basically, I love food. All right, I'm like Jim Gaffigan up here. All right, and and, and sometimes I'll go. All right, I got to lose some of this weight because you know it's sitting on my belly. It makes my shirts look funny when I'm on the video and and, and all of those things. Um, and so I'll, I'll I'll start dieting. I'll eat spinach for lunch, and then I'll get on the scale the next day. I haven't lost any weight. In fact, I gained like two pounds. I'm going, this is dumb. And I'll kick the scale. I'm like, I'm out, right? right? Because I'm not being consistent in what I'm doing, right? Um, sometimes I'll, I'll lose some weight. And I'll be like, yeah, this is awesome. Vanilla Coke. No, don't do that. That's, that's exactly the opposite of, of what you're supposed to be doing. What if God was ready to answer your prayer, but you failed to pray for it consistently? What if you quit circling your Jericho one lap before the miracle was to take place? Now, I don't know if prayer works this way, but I'm going to guarantee you don't know either. And do we really want to run that risk? 
What if, what if we stop praying for something just before God gives us that breakthrough? What if we stop circling our, our, our Jericho, whatever that impossible thing is in our life that we're asking God to do for us or help us to overcome, and we quit praying just before that breakthrough takes place? And sometimes we aren't sure what we should ask for, so our prayers are vague. right? And, and I'm guilty of this. I'll be praying and I'll go, Lord, bless the missionaries. What do, I want the, what do I want God to do for the mission? I want to bless him. What does that mean? Right? My, my prayers are vague. Um, we're going to quickly look at another miracle that took place on this same exact spot. If you have your Bible, you can flip there very quickly. Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20, beginning in verse 29. Um, I'm going to go ahead and start reading while you all get there. Matthew 20, beginning in verse 29, says this. As they were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. There were two blind men sitting by the road. When they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. They were praying to Jesus, but guess what? Their prayer was vague. The crowd demanded that they keep quiet, but they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. Again, a vague prayer. Jesus stopped and called them and said, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, they said, Open our eyes. Their prayer went from being vague to being very specific. Lord, we want to have our sight. Moved with compassion, Jesus touched their eyes. Immediately they could see, and they followed him. Jesus asked the two blind men what they wanted, and of course, they wanted their sight. Right? But what, what about if Jesus came to you and asked you, what do you want me to do for you? Would you know what to ask him for? Or would you just kind of stand there tongue-tied and stumbling over, uh, 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 um, you sound like mush mouth from, uh, from Fat Albert. We would, ask for, we, would we ask for something specific or would we just stand there stumbling over ourselves? If we want to see God answer our prayers to deliver on the circles that we're drawing around our Jerichos, we need to ensure that we're being obedient to God and giving him the praise for the answers, even if the answers are different than what we were asking for. Because that's how sometimes God works. God answers our prayers, but he does it in a way that's going to bring glory to him, not glory to us. Matthew chapter 21, Matthew 21 verse 22 says this, And if you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. We are obedient when we ask God for things in faith. Now, each of us has a Jericho. And while I'm not trying to write us into the story, I'm not trying to say, you're the Israelite and the problem in you. Although I guess that's actually what I did, isn't it? All right, let's go with it. The principle is the same. There are insurmountable things in our lives, and they are only overcome or achieved through God's intervention. As I stated earlier, some of you spell Jericho with the name of a disease, a creditor, or a child. And as you read through the book, The Circle Maker, you're going to come in, in contact with stories of people who are doing these things. Others of you may spell Jericho with something more positive, such as getting a new job or having a larger impact for Christ on your community. That's what I'm praying for. I'm gonna, I'm, I, in full transparency, that's what I pray for every day, that this church will have a greater impact on our community. I don't know what that looks like. And I realize that that's kind of different than um, what I just said, don't pray vague prayers. All right? 
I'm narrowing it down. I'm honing in trying to figure out what that looks like. Whatever that Jericho is, you need to circle it in prayer and have faith that God will answer your prayer. Let me remind you of this. I said it once before. God is not a genie. All right? He's not going to pop out. He's not going to turn you into Prince um, Abubu. Okay. Somebody please laugh at that. Okay. All right. The Bible is full of promises, but not all of those promises apply to you. You could go in and claim a promise, but if that promise isn't meant for you, God's, God will likely not answer the prayer the way that you were hoping he would. So how do we know what promises in the Bible are promises for us? Right? The Bible is full of promises, like I said, but they don't all apply to us. There's uh, Jeremiah 29, 11 says God is, you know, um, I, I'm just going to paraphrase it, that um, God has all these good things intended for us. He wants us to prosper. That promise may not be for you, but a lot of people claim it and then they get upset because they're not prospering the way that they, they thought they were going to because that promise was not intended for them. The first thing we have to do is we have to be in our Bibles. Y'all had to know it was coming at some point where right? I told you you needed to read your Bible. We have to be in our Bibles. We have to know what the promises that are in the Bible if we want to be able to claim the promises that are intended for us. If you don't know what promises are in the Bible, you, then you aren't going to be able to know which ones you can claim and, and begin circling around. Joshua 1.8 says this, This book of instruction must not depart from your mouth. You are to meditate on it day and night so that you may carefully observe everything written in it. For then you will prosper and succeed in whatever you do. And the second thing that we have to do is not only do we have to be in our scripture, we have to pray. We have to ask God what promises he wants to fulfill for us. Seems counterintuitive. You're asking God to fulfill a promise, but then you go to God and you ask him, God, what promise do you want to fill for me? Because that's how we're going to know what to pray for. We ask God, God, what do you want to do for me? And then you start praying for it. Again, it seems counterintuitive, but that's sometimes the way God works. We have a good God, a loving God, and a God who wants to answer our prayers. We simply have to ask for the right things. And we have to be willing to keep circling those promises, keep circling Jericho, until God answers. Matthew 7, 7 through 8 says this, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Let's pray. Father God, I, I come before you, Lord, and I, I readily confess that prayer is something that I do not do enough of. Lord, and I would hazard to say that there are few people in here who would be willing to say that they are satisfied with their prayer life. But Lord, I'm asking that today would be the day that we would begin to draw circles, that we would begin to pray bold prayers, that we would begin to, to seek the promises in your word that you want to fill for us, Lord. That we would seek you in regards to what promises you have for us, and that we would seek you and ask you to, to fill those promises. That we would be consistent in our prayer, that we would be obedient, and we would continue to circle those promises, circle those Jerichos until you answer them. Father, there are people in this room today, there are people listening via the podcast or watching on Facebook who have insurmountable Jerichos in their lives. They have gotten diagnosis of, of, of disease that, that when, when you hear the name of those diseases, it takes your breath away. Or there, there, are, there are folks who are, who, 
who have wayward children who are, who are trying to, to have a child. And no matter, uh, no matter how much they try, no matter what happens, it just seems to be beyond them. And Lord, there are, there are folks here who are struggling with their jobs. They're, they're having a difficult time at their job where they need to find a job that will provide uh, more money for them. Lord, I pray that, that today would be the day that they would begin circling those and that the consistency of their prayer would continue until we see you do big things. Lord, we're asking that you would, um, you would bless this church, Lord, that you would bless us with, with faith, Lord, that we would, we would boldly ask you for things. Lord, I'm not asking you to, to prosper us with money. I'm asking you to prosper us with faith, Lord, that we would, we would come before you and that, that, the, that prayer would be the life breath of our church. Uh, I, I read a quote that said, a Christian without prayer is, is like a person trying to breathe without air. Lord, I pray that today would be the day where all of us would begin to circle and we would see you do big and mighty and bold things. Those things that were impossible, that we, that we thought were impossible, are, are being accomplished because of our faith and our prayer. Lord, we know that in Luke it says nothing is impossible for God. And so, Lord, that's what we're asking for. Father, I pray that you would uh, open our hearts and open our minds. And Lord, if there are things that need to be laid down at the altar there are sins that need to be confessed or people that need to be forgiven or, or burdens that just need to be given to you, that today would be the day that that would happen. Lord, I pray that, that we would all be different people as a result of being here today. We ask this in your name. Amen.